Hello and welcome to the Feminist Podcast. I am Wendy Frias. And I am Janine Padilla. We are two New York City Latinas who join forces to create a space where we talk about all things female wellness. Together we will discuss and demystify all things related to women, such as mental health, mindfulness, lifestyle, and more. All with the side of New York City sass and spice. Hola, mi gente. This is Wendy. Hello, beautiful souls. This is Janine. Today, we're going to delve into the world of women and finances, offering practical insights and actionable tips. Together, we will navigate the unique challenges women face, from budgeting and saving to planning for the future. This podcast is all about empowering you to build financial confidence and achieve your goals. Get ready to embark on a transformative journey towards financial improvement. So let's dive in. So we're going to start with traditional views of finances growing up. Ooh, that's a loaded question. Yeah, Let's get into it, Janine. Let's do it. So I come from a background where you would hear stories of people putting their life savings under a mattress just to have it burn up in a fire. Have you heard of those things, Janine? Yep, all, all the, the time. time. Mm-hmm. All the time. So that right there tells you of the mentality of many new immigrants in the United States, like my parents. It was like everyone had this fight or flight mentality, making sure you had money ready and available at a moment's notice. They always wanted to have their money close at hand in case of an emergency or if basically shit hit the fan. There was a saying, a Spanish saying that everyone would always say, and it was, Uno siempre tiene que tener sus pesitos. You yeah. always have to have your dollars at hand. Yeah, and people didn't trust the banking systems the banking either. System. <laughs> right. Somebody else holding on to your dough was not it was a no-go for most people. Yep. So as I mentioned from previous podcasts, you know, my parents came to the to the United States in the 70s. So for them, finances meant making ends meet as much as they could. So there were no luxuries. Every bit of money they made went towards bills and sending back to struggling family members in the Dominican Republic. There were little, there was little money for any types of frills or anything like that. So when I was being raised by my single mom who relied on welfare or public assistance to help make ends meet, there was never any excess. Everything had a designated place and time. So whenever I spoke to my mother about money, I remember two key words resonated with me, um, freedom and stability. So, so freedom always meant not having to depend on a man for what you wanted to do and how much you wanted to spend. Because back then, the men made the money and women had to do as they were told. Seems like a horrible, horrible life. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, you know, it was, it was hard for from the people and the women that I knew. It was very difficult. Mm-hmm. Stability was the other word that I remember coming up is it came from having not having that stability and having to deal with a government system that could cut off your benefits or close your case as a, at a moment's notice. So I remember most people in my neighborhood, there was nothing more terrifying in the Heights, Washington Heights, where I grew up in those days than when someone mentioned Me cerraron el caso, or my case has been closed. That meant that you did not know where your next month's meal would be coming from. So imagine living like that all the time. 
Yep. And there's still a lot of people today that um, still have to go through these experiences. And Absolutely. Absolutely. Deal with the my, system. Family, my family as well. So, yep. So, okay. Hmm. This is a tricky one for me because I, as we were like discussing this topic um, and coming up with this things to speak about in this episode, I was like, I'm not sure that I was raised necessarily with traditional views of finances growing up. So like, sure, as you mentioned, there was that like Latino type of mentality at some point, which was the messaging that the men were the breadwinners and the women were the homemakers. But as far as I know that I can remember, like my grandmother and my great grandmother from my maternal side, they worked as seamstresses in the New York City factories here at some point in their lives. Um, My mother told me a lot of stories about it. So they weren't necessarily just like sitting around and solely relying on the men to bring home the bacon per se. Uh, nor I was I really taught about managing finances either. <laughs> Those discussions were not had in the household about, oh, this is how much money you make and save and put away. Uh, what I do remember experiencing, though, is when it came to finances with the people around me, uh, meaning my family and my friends and the people in the community that I grew up with, there was this sort of attitude that it was like, oh, money is meant to be earned and then spent. Mainly out of necessity, as you stated, right, to survive. So to pay the rent, to buy food, to buy clothes, things like that, but also to get things that they wanted, like new furniture or a new television set. And unfortunately, there was also here in the Bronx, at least where I grew up, um, when we returned back to the Bronx after, you know, being uh, living military life for a while, there was a lot of people around me who were like, living paycheck to paycheck. And as soon as they got that that payday, they were like going off to purchase booze or cigarettes or drugs um, and necessarily, you know, party. Um, and then other people that I know had gambling patterns. Uh, I remember my paternal side of the family uh, came when it came to bingo, they were like beasts. Like my grandmother actually coordinated bingo trips. Uh, so... Yeah. So she had like a bunch of people. I don't even remember where these trips were held, but she would like have a space and it was outside of the city, maybe like 45 minutes, an hour away, probably in PA or something. And she would coordinate these huge bingo trips the way we coordinate our senior trips and like get these buses and people would pay to like go on this trip and go play bingo to win money. And she, her and my grandfather did win a lot of fucking money in bingo. Um, So, but <laughs> gambling, gambling was another real thing when it comes to finances. Um, I don't ever recall seeing anyone in my family necessarily saving money. And if they were doing it, it was on the DL, like on the down low, so that others really wouldn't be privy to how much money they really had. Like Under later- that mattress. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Like you were saying. So later on in life, I found out, um, at least from my paternal grandparents side, that when my grandfather passed away, apparently he had hidden money in all these different areas in the house, like up in the ceiling and and in the backyard, in the um, in his little it wasn't a garage, but like the, the shed house. He had money like in tins. I mean, they apparently they found a, a shitload of money um, that he never took to the bank, but he just hid it all over the house. I was like, oh my goodness. Um, 
But yeah, that definitely wasn't happening in my immediate household in terms of money being saved anywhere, not under the mattress, not in the fucking closet, because once my parents separated, it was just my mom and things were, you know, tight. So essentially, my views on finances growing up um, had this underlying lingering tone of, you know, survive at all costs depend on no one, make your own money. And when you do get it, spend it as you wish because you've earned it. Very similar. So very similar mentalities there. I remember my mom also mentioned working in factories um, where she would help make toys. And she vividly Mm -hmm. remembers some of those toys were going to Macy's and all these other places. When my twin sister and I were born, she could no longer work. Right. You can see how that that happens to a lot of women there. But yeah, a lot of the new immigrants back then were working in factories. So what does financial empowerment mean for women? So I'm just going back to my childhood again. So my goal as a child was to be empowered financially. That was number one. There was really no other goal. So to me, that meant getting an education, starting a career, and being able to take care of myself independently. I had so many, I had seen so many women deal with abusive husbands, cheating husbands, or just plain old assholes, Mm -hmm. because they didn't have the money, right, or education Mm -hmm. to make a change. So to be honest, that just infuriated me, even as a kid. So I guess in a way, a trauma response to what I had to bear witness to as a child helped propel me forward that way. So working with families on a daily basis, I speak to mothers who are also dealing with the unthinkable because of the lack of financial independence, even today. So so for me, when, so if anyone is aware, um, there was the Summer Youth Employment Program, and it's still around today. And it's a program for low-income teenagers to find employment during the summer and make minimum wage instead of being out there and causing trouble. Mm-hmm. So as, yeah, you remember that? Yeah. So as soon as I hit 13 years of age, I was working. There was no if, ands, or buts about it. I worked as a candy striper, which is working in a hospital and selling things. I was a counselor. And I also worked in the public assistance office, organizing files. It was my first real taste of what being somewhat financially independent was. And I absolutely loved it. Where the so hell this, did you, where did you work as a candy striper at? I feel like that's oh, like, it's so like, oh, I don't know. When I right? think of candy striper, I think of like, I don't know, the 50s or like some shit. Right. Like, it was still called that back then, which was weird. But what I did was we went to the, it was at Columbia Presbyterian here in the city. Uh-huh. And we would just, there was a store and then people, sometimes people things wanted stuff from the store. So then we would have a cart me and a friend of mine, we would go to the different floors and sell things to the, um, to the patients. Like oh. if they wanted some chocolate or some cars or whatever, we would have it available for them. So oh, it was okay. really cool. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so my little story here, when I was a child and about to embark in middle school, I really wanted the Jordans. Like, I feel like this has, hasn't changed today. Right. My mom <laughs> said, right. Everybody, everybody still wants the Jordans. So my mom said, well, I can't afford that, but I can go take you to Payless or Conway Mm. and you could, or you could work and buy your own sneakers. Like I did not want those Payless 
what were they called? Pro wings. They were horrible. Mm-hmm. So I was like, forget it. I am going to go work. So fast forward, I worked all summer and bought myself my first $107 pair of sneakers. So back then, that was a lot of money. So empowerment to a 13-year-old was Jordan's and Levi's jeans. Levi's jeans. I never looked back after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can relate. I definitely, and I'll speak about it, you know, now, but um, I can so resonate with your story of having to like start <laughs> working young and to make the money I needed because my mom had the same sort of attitude. It was like, I can't afford to get it with you. And because my parents were separated, my dad was dealing with his own shit. Um, that was it. It was just my mom for quite a few years. Uh, so if I wanted something, I had to get it myself. So, yeah. So when my parents separated, uh, that's the other thing. Like I really recall from really young, my mom telling my sister and I to always be independent women and never become dependent on a man for anything. She literally was like saying this all the time. She never bashed my dad, but she was like, Make sure you know how to do things around the house, Um, you know, because my mom is a beast. And so she knows how to paint and tile floors and and all types of stuff. Right. And my dad was a type that at the time he couldn't even pick up a hammer and nail a, a painting into the wall. <laughs> so my mom was like, make sure you are able to do this and you never depend on a man for any of it. Right. And she always preached to us, um, you know, when it came to our finances to always make our own money. My mom had normally worked all of her life and went to schools to obtain certificates to learn more skills so she could become more marketable in the workforce. So I know for a fact that because my mom has said it so many times, right, that one of the biggest regrets that she has had was to not pursue her college education in fashion and interior design, which were always have always been her passions. And one of the reasons why I know why she always emphasized to us not to to depend on a man financially is, again, because when my parents did separate, she found herself, you know, having to move back to New York City as a single mother to two children, um, initially living with my grandmother for a few months and then moving into the public housing system, uh, a.k.a. the projects. (laughs) And we had to live there for a while. And it was very different from living, you know, on a military base in a house uh, with a backyard. And then now, you know, we're thrown into this other atmosphere, which, you know, my mom was no stranger to the PJs. I was because it so it was culture shock for me, like we had talked about on our first episode. Um, but it was hard for her because she went from a place of like, OK, now I need to before I can get a job. I need to get on public assistance. She needed to get on welfare uh, to be able to sustain the household so that then she could go to these certification programs um, so that she can eventually, you know, she could eventually get her, you know, get a job to pay the bills and not have to depend on the system. Uh, But yeah, for a while there, we were on welfare. I'm no stranger to those blocks of yellow cheese. (laughs) I mean, that cheese, I, I know, but that cheese was good. It actually was. It actually really was good. Um, And the sad thing is, is that, you know, even when my mom did get a job back then, like we were still broke, you know, by the time she was paying the rent and the, you know, the electricity and, 
you know, trying to get us clothes. You mentioned Conway and like the hair on my, the hairs on my arm stood up. Cause I'm like, oh my God. Like I was so embarrassed, you know, as a yes. teen and teenager because my mom could not afford to get me like the cool kid clothes. And so it was like, oh, the beginning of the school year is coming. Let's go to Conway because you, they had a layaway plan. So my mom could like put clothes on layaway and then pay it over time so that by the time the new school year started, you know, I would have new clothing. I mean, at the end of the day, like, honestly, she took care of us, right? There are par- like, there are some people out here that wouldn't even, their kids don't have new clothing to go to school. So we always did have like new clothing. It just wasn't the cool clothing. <laughs> it was, right, it was, right. It was clothing. Um, but we still had clothes on our backs, right? And, you know, there was just no support from my dad. Uh, There was no support from my dad for a few years while he was dealing with his own demons. So that just um, made it even more difficult. And so for me, being financially independent, especially as a woman, meant a lot of things. It meant that, as you stated, my ass was going to get a job as early as the age of like 13 or 14 so that I could afford to buy the things that my mom couldn't afford to buy for me that my friends had. So again, the cool clothes, being able to just buy like those candies at the bodega that everyone was buying back in the day, buying Garbage Pail Kids cards to trade was super fun. And then as I was getting older, you know, we had Skate Key here in the Bronx. And so I wanted to be able to go roller skating or go to the movies with my friends. And then, yeah, then I started getting into the club life. And yes, people back in, back then um, in the, when was it, like the 90s or whatever, like you could be under the age of 18 and get into clubs in the city. But I won't say any more about that. <laughs> but uh, more importantly, being financially independent meant that I could do what I want, get what I want, and would never have to ask anyone for money or get their permission on what I can do with mine. And that still holds true for me to this day. And I know we discussed it on another episode. So it's like, whether I'm in a relationship or not, yes, be mindful of mutual finances and things like that and have discussions about it. But at the end of the day, like, no, I I very much have this mentality because of how I grew up. Like, no one is going to tell me, like, I can't get something or I can't do something with the money that I've been working hard to earn unless there's some sort of intervention that needs to take place because, you know, I'm a gambler or I'm like blowing all this money and stuff. So to be honest, even though it's sad, right, that the reasons why my mom felt she had to stress to me and my sister from a young age, the importance of being an independent woman, I really am forever grateful that she did do that because no matter what has happened to me in my life, and trust me, there have been many of things I have always been able to take care of me and mine. And um, that's because she instilled that messaging in us since we were young. Yes, we both resonate with being independent women and our mothers pushing that. Um, and I have so much nostalgia thinking about the garbage pail kids. Those were uh, the best. <laughs> oh my and now, God. And now those fucking cards go for like 
oh my god like my son does trading and stuff and now these fucking garbage pail kid cards like if you find one that's been like unopened and the wrap like they go for so much money right now oh my gosh it's insane meanwhile we paid like what fucking i don't even 25 remember cents. yeah 25, 25 cents, cents or something yeah with a piece of gum you got yeah. a piece of gum that was your bonus it was a deal so now let's get into it so let's get into our finances and what we wanted to speak about today. Um, so one of the most important aspects of your finances is your credit report. So why don't we begin there? So what is a credit report? So a credit report is a document that determines your financial buying power. So what, what does that mean, financial buying power? A credit report is a document that contains information about your borrowing and payment history. It's like, let's say it's like a, like a report card for your financial behavior. Mm-hmm. Whenever you borrow money, use a credit card or take out a loan, those activities are all tracked and recorded by the credit bureaus. So you're being watched. <laughs> that's a good way to put it too. Uh, we, that, that's how they should teach that in school. It's like a report card for your financial behavior. <laughs> yep. It's never taught. I was never taught this in school, were you? Neither was I, girl. Mm-mm. No. These So these credit bureaus gather information from the banks, lenders, and other financial institutions to create your credit report. So your credit report includes information such as loans you have taken, credit cards you hold, how much you owe, and how promptly you pay your, you make your payments. So make sure you make those payments. It also lists any late payments, defaults, or any accounts that have gone into collections. So when you get those letters saying you didn't pay, they know all about that. So why is this important to you? Credit reports are important because they're used by lenders, landlords, and even employers to evaluate your credit worthiness. They use this information to determine whether to lend you money, approve your credit application, or offer you certain job opportunities. So if a a potential employer sees a very low credit score, they can assume that if you can't manage your money, you may not be able to manage a job. So that's an issue right there. A good good credit report shows a history of responsible borrowing and timely payments. So this can help you secure loans at a lower interest rate and improve your financial opportunities. So if we were both going for a loan and I had bad credit and you had good credit, you would have to pay back that loan at a higher rate um, I would have to pay off that loan at, at a higher rate than you would, Janine. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so if you don't have, so I guess if you don't have money to pay for things 100% cash all the time, your credit report is extremely important. So to ensure, ensure all your information is accurate, reviewing your credit report on a yearly basis is recommended. And the best part about this is that it's free. So you can get that all for free once a year. If you want it more than once a year, you would have to pay, but it's not much. So the three major credit reporting bureaus are Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. So this this is good because this can help you look for any errors or fraudulent activities that may negatively impact your credit worthiness. So it allows you to monitor your credit and take steps to improve it. So for me, um, one time someone stole some money um, from my account, used my name, and what I was able to do through my credit report, see that I hadn't purchased those things and be able to fight back and get that money back. So it's always good to keep an eye out on that. 
Yeah, I have the um, and now in days, you know, with these iPhones and Androids, and and there's so many apps that you can download and have on your telephone so that you can go check and monitor your credit report easily. Yes, your credit cards do, does mm -hmm. that as well. For yep. me, because that happened to me and my credit was stolen and and things were were done, I have an automatic. It's absolutely free. It's automatic whenever I open up an account or anytime I want to open up an account, they have to verify with, with me. They have to call me and make sure it's me before it's even open. So it's a, a different and additional step to safeguard me because yeah, I have that issue. Yeah, no. And I also have um, that you can set up on your current cards and your bank cards and credit cards uh, an alert system so that anytime a purchase is made, you order like I automatically get both an email and a text message if it's over one penny. So <laughs> nice. So you're getting a lot of alerts. Exactly. <laughs> but that's good because you know what's going on with your with your financial credit worthiness. Yeah, so there's a report, there's a lot of shadiness out here these oh, days. Oh yes, so. especially since we have our cards on our phones and that kind of stuff. We need to have protection. Yep. So let's break down general credit score levels. So an excellent credit score is 750 to 850. And what does that mean? People with these scores in this range are, cons are considered to have excellent credit. They typically have long and established credit history, make on-time payments, and have low credit utilization ratio. Let me say that again. They have low credit utilization ratio. So that means credit to your credit to debt ratio how much you owe versus how much credit you have. So if you if you have a lot of credit, but you only borrow a little bit, your utilization ratio looks a lot better. Was that clear, Janine? Yeah, and if you want to break it down in numbers, I guess it would be if you have a $200 credit card, right? And you yeah. only have a balance of $25, right? Maybe that, that would mean that your your credit to debt ratio um is looks good. a lot better yep mm -hmm. yep thank you for that um so good credit is seven to seven forty nine and if you're in this range it, it indicates good credit worthy worthiness people with good credit generally have a solid payment history and responsible credit management habits a fair credit is 650 to 699 scores in this range indicate fair credit Individuals may have few late payments or high credit utilization ratio, which could impact their ability to obtain credit, certain types of credit. So poor credit is 550 to 649. So scores in this range indicate poor credit. So individuals with poor credit may have a history of mispayments, high levels of debt, or a recent bankruptcy, they may face challenges when applying for credit. So no bad credit is below is below 550. So bad credit is below 550. And this is generally considered to be a bad range. People with bad credit may have significant credit problems such as multiple delinquencies, defaulted accounts, bankruptcies, or a history of collection and actions. So this is so important to know your credit score to know where you stand and if you've had any issues in the past to make sure you make those payments. Absolutely. Because nowadays credit is everything. Well, not everything, but you know, it's it's a little bit more challenging for some people to get around. Yeah, if you don't have cash, then that credit is key. Exactly. So 
Let's talk about some money management mistakes and particular money management mistakes that women tend to make. So number one would be to not actively participating in the financial decisions within the home. Uh, yes, this still happens, people. So some people are in the dark when it comes to what is going on in the household in terms of finances because they're letting someone else control everything and may not be asking questions or be actively involved in knowing what, where, when, and how money is being used. So it's kind of like, oh, my partner is paying the bills, the lights haven't shut off, you know, we have food in the fridge, so we're good. But God forbid there's an emergency and your partner or family member um, is unable to pay for things. If you're if you're not aware of like how much money is being put where or where to get access to money, then you're pretty much screwed. And, you know, there have been many of articles of like women finding themselves in these situations where something happens and then all of a sudden they don't realize that a certain payment of a bill hasn't been paid for months because they're they weren't having conversations with their partners about it so regardless Definitely of, happens yeah Definitely for sure yep. and when my mom had a heart attack I had to she ended up in the hospital and I had to pay her bills and fortunately we have a system where I have I know her passwords and I know like I have access we both have access to each other's stuff right so it just made the it made it smoother so that when she came out of the hospital like there she didn't have this she didn't have these additional stressors about like oh my god now I have to figure out and backtrack and pay all this stuff because since we had a system in place, I was able to help her do that. And then she could just come home and be in recovery without the stressing of that part of it. So regardless of who you're living with, right, it's important to set the ground rules, I think, in which at the very least there's, you know, maybe a monthly conversation. Some may want more um, about the household expenses and what everyone's role is and what would the steps be in the event that there's an emergency. And also to just discuss financial goals and investments that are mutually beneficial to everyone, like, you know, basic things like having life insurance. The second point is overspending and impulse buying. Oh, ladies. <laughs> Ooh, shoes, <laughs> oh, this is, yes, this is a huge one. Uh, and the crazy thing is that most of the time, the shit we buy, we don't even really need, but we know this already. <laughs> so there are a number of reasons why women have a tendency to overspend. And some of them are trying to keep up with the Joneses, as they say, or feeling pressure from society to have certain things is one of them. Another reason can be that we are emotional spending due to feelings of like being sad or angry. Um, you know, there's been plenty of times I bought some shit because I'm like, this was before. This is not now. <laughs> like, I'm stuck with my partner. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to go buy an outfit. I'm going out or I'm going to book a trip or something. Yes. Um, you know, emotional and then like, buying, right? Exactly. Buying. Yeah. yeah. And it's a temporary feel good solution, but um, it always does us more damage in the long run than not. So, uh, chickity check yourself before you wreck yourself, people. Okay. Ooh, bringing it back. <laughs> Uh, and if you're anything like me and are easily stimulated through sight and smell, 
then you already know that we are the type of people that end up buying stuff that is visually appealing. So it's like, oh my God, this is so cute. It's in my favorite color. It smells so good. Oh, it's in the shape of an elephant. Like, oh, that's a cute elephant candle. And because I love elephants, like I have to have this item. The struggle is real, people. <laughs> but um, like Target is, forget it. I can't walk in there. Uh, that's another story. You end up, you know, going in saying you're going to buy two things for you have a $50 budget. And then, you know, $250, $300 later, you're walking out with that shopping cart. You know where else? Costco. That place. Oh, really? See, I don't you get go like with... that with food. It's with these, it's these little, it's items, items. Janine, Costco <laughs> does not only have food. That place is a trap. Oh, that's true, I guess. But I've gone into like Costco's <laughs> and BJ's and it doesn't give me that same, um, it doesn't tempt me as much as like a Target does uh, with like, <laughs> oh, I need these bed sheets when I really don't because I have a million of them already. Um, <laughs> so I'm not the type of individual who likes to limit getting what I want. Right. But I have learned over the years, the importance of, you know, tracking my expenses and setting a realistic budget for myself. Like I always say, balance and moderation for me, um, in my life is key. And just to be clear, ladies, so you're not like, we're not the only ones to be spending on all our money. Yes, we know men overspend and impulse buy as well. <laughs> Another one uh, would be not having an emergency fund. And this one gets tricky because we know not everybody's in a, in a financial state in which they can save as much money. But, um, you know, not having an emergency fund, A, could be probably because your ass is overspending, right? And impulse buying. <laughs> uh, but seriously, uh, this I learned the hard way is I never earned enough to save when I was younger. And even when I started to earn more, I still didn't initially save. I just spent it, right? Because it's like, oh, now I'm making more money. So now I can buy these other things that I want. But as I've gotten older, I vow to never be in a position that if certain things didn't work out for me, like a relationship, a job, um, or some other type of emergency, you know, like COVID that just happened, um, and we're still kind of, you know, is is in the background there that lingering uh, that I would be fucked. Right. And so I'm like, nope, not again. So I started to create an emergency fund. And one of uh, my very first books that I bought on it, because as most of you know by now or those listening for the first time, I love to read. And um, this one was called this one was from back in the days I had bought this book, too. It was Women in Finance by Susie Orman. Have you heard of that? book? Yes, I okay. have that book. You have it, too? It. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's so I mean, I love she was like the first person, the first woman that I was exposed to who was speaking about finances and particularly women and finance. And I literally bought that book decades ago, but I still always go back and reference it every now and again. Uh, recently, I purchased a book called My Money, but My Way by K uh, Kumiko Love. And one of the things that I like about some of her strategies is that she encourages people to have cash envelopes for spending in order to reduce um, using their credit or debit card, because it's so easy to just kind of be like, oh, I don't I don't have the cash on me. Let me let me just swipe. Let me just swipe. Let me just swipe. And if you're not looking at your 
your account, then you're not going to realize how much you're spending. But um, now that I've kind of educated myself on this stuff, when I do look at my account, then I'm like, oh, shit, I just swiped like X amount of money in the course of one week. Right. Um, so it's really important. I, I like having cash. Nobody carries cash anymore. And I, I don't always, but I try to at least have some cash on me. Um, but you know but- what else? Some places these days are not even taking cash. I know, I know. That's what makes it a little bit more yeah. challenging. Mm-hmm. So another one is failing to negotiate salary. Uh, studies have shown that women are less likely to negotiate their salaries compared to men. But the tide is turning, fellas, so watch out. Um, although more women are advocating for themselves and demanding equal pay, we still have a really long way to go. Ignoring financial literacy and education. So I think that some of the reasons why women, particularly women of color, do not educate themselves on financial literacy is because we feel intimidated and overwhelmed at all the unfamiliar jargon. And it's simply just hard to understand. But again, um, especially as women, Right. It is imperative that we put ourselves in spaces and surround ourselves with people who we can learn this shit from and most importantly, not be afraid to speak up and ask questions. Recently, I've been binging on all episodes and listening um, to one of uh, these podcasts by uh, Janice Torres. It's called Yo Quiero Dinero. Love it. Love I know. So do I love her. Um, and it's a personal finance uh, podcast for Latinas. And so ultimately, like the more we know, the more we can empower ourselves, assert our independence and work towards achieving financial security confidently, not investing or delaying investing. So I feel like this is an extension of what I was just talking about regarding ignoring financial literacy and education. I know for me personally, it was and still at times is like, what do I do and where do I begin? It's not necessarily that I don't want to invest. It's just you know, being intimidated on how and thus you just delay investing in yourself because you're uncertain of how to where to start or what to do. So now that I'm more confident in my approach and unafraid of looking stupid by asking questions, because again, that's a big one. Like a lot of people, when they feel intimidated, they don't want to ask the questions because they're afraid of like, they may be afraid of like other people looking at them like, you don't know how to do this. You don't know what that means. I don't give a fuck about that shit anymore. If I don't know what something means, a word, uh, whatever it is, I'm going to ask. I don't care if people look at me like I have three heads. I'm like, teach me then. Like, don't look at me like I'm stupid. Like if I'm asking the question, it means obviously that I'm not knowledgeable about it. So teach me. I want to learn. And, you know, I'm nowhere near um, or even close to being where I want to in terms of investing, but I keep asking questions and I keep educating myself. And another book, I think I was telling you about this, Wendy, um, that I recently came across with a cross that I found really intriguing and had to get it is a book called Wealth Warrior by Linda Garcia. And it's yes, eight- I remember you telling me about this one. Yeah, this one I re- I literally recently purchased. Um, and this one is it's a Wealth Warrior by Linda Garcia, and is eight steps for communities of color to conquer the stock market. So I have just begun to read this book, but one of the things that stood out to me immediately that was written on it, um, which is another reason why I purchased it, 
is this quote that she had. Well, I'm quoting a, a written portion of it. And it says, um, as a proud Latina, Garcia understands that building wealth can mean more than stepping into financial arenas historically kept from communities of color. It may first require getting to the root of our money wounds. The factors and experiences that limit our capacity to feel deserving of wealth and capable of building it. And I was just like, wow. Yeah, Ooh, I mean, yes. Right. Because we've spoken about this, like how can we expect to create generational and community wealth without first understanding and learning how to heal our money wounds? Because we just shared our stories about how our upbringing was with our moms because of the, you know, the the things that happened with them and the, and the messaging that they were giving us. And all the so, trauma that you hold within you that keeps you from reaching those heights. Exactly. And as a culture, right? We're Latinas. Yes. So also culturally, like, culturally, yeah, we, we're, we're not known to come from, you know, wealthy backgrounds. <laughs> uh, so the other one would be neglecting your retirement planning, right? So there is another stati statistical fact that studies have shown that women have a longer life expectancy than men, which means our asses should be saving more for our retirement. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to get caught out there up in our 90s or being 100 without some sort of fucking plan, right? Yes. Uh, so there's a few good ways to do this. Uh, most of you may be aware of it, but for those who are not, this is a reminder. And if your employer offers a 401k plan and you are eligible, begin contributing to it. Also, if your uh, employer offers to match your 401k contribution, make sure that at the very least you're contributing the min minimum amount required to be eligible to receive the match. And if your employer does not offer a retirement plan or you want to have an additional one, you can always open up a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA account. If possible, try to delay when you receive your Social Security benefits because by doing this, you will receive the maximum payout. My mother recently retired last year in December and she did exactly this, God bless her soul, um, which has really helped her because now she's getting the max amount of social security um, on a monthly basis, as opposed to if she had taken her social security oh, uh, before uh, the, the age where you can, um, which I think, what is it? I think you can start getting your social security benefits as early as 62, uh, but she, she waited to 70. <laughs> so, um, but now she's getting the max, which in this, in this economy with everything rising, for her to be in her 70s and have overcome all these illnesses, like it actually is beneficial to her that she's getting that because the cost of living is insane, especially in New York. Especially in New York, it's really out of control right now. Yep. So with rents and everything going up and inflation, here are some simple tips to get out of debt. So we have all heard of the spend less save more argument, which is all well and good. However, here are a few other simple tips to help you get out of debt. One of my favorites, besides Susie Orman, of course, <laughs> is the debt snowball created by David Ramsey in his New York Times bestselling book, The Total Money Makeover, a proven plan for financial fitness. Basically, this is how you do it. So you start by 
listing your debts from smallest to largest, regardless of the interest rates, include credit card balances, personal loans, medical bills, and any other outstanding debt that you have. Now, you make the minimum payments on each debt every month to avoid penalties and those awful late fees. So then you allocate any additional money you can towards the debt with the smallest balance while continuing to make minimum payments on the other debts. So you start paying the start paying off the one with the smallest balance and then give minimum payments to everything else. So again, as you pay off the smallest debt, you roll the entire amount you were paying towards it. So the minimum payment plus the extra payment into the next smallest debt. This creates what they call a snowball effect where your debt where, where your debt payments gain momentum over time. So let's say I have a credit card. My lowest credit card is $50. So all my other credit cards, the minimum payment is 15. So I start paying 15 towards all the, the, all the other credit cards and pay this $50. Once that $50 is paid, you go to the next credit card payment, the next smallest, and you keep paying. And it's a snowball. And you keep snowballing those payments until you get to your last debt. I use this and I absolutely love this. So again, you keep repeating and repeating until you pay off everything you owe and then you'll be debt free. Mm -hmm. And be patient because it, it depending on how much debt you have, it will take some time. It does take time, but you know what the thing is with the uh, debt snowball? It's more of a psychological thing. Once you see that you start making progress and you pay off that first credit card, you're going to feel that momentum and want to keep going. Yep. And try not to use the credit card that you just paid off. Oh, yeah. And accrue yes. more debt. <laughs> you cut that up. But I've done this. I've done it. Yeah, I've done it. So, I yeah, I know how that can feel. Yeah. yeah. Don't close the account. Never close the account. Just put no. it aside, cut it up so you can't use it. Mm -hmm. So here are a few more tips. Like Janine said, build an emergency fund. So start by saving like $1,000 as a start emergency as a starter emergency fund, this fund will act as a safety net. So it's it'll help you cover expenses in case of an emergency so you don't go into debt. So you start, have little by little until you have $1,000 and then work from there. Again, consider implementing a cash envelope system. Don't stick it under the bed. <laughs> for a certain, for a certain um, budget categories such as groceries or entertainment, and allocate a specific amount of cash to each category and only spend what's in the envelope. That is hard in the beginning, mm -hmm. but try it. Mm -hmm. So this method can help you stick to your budget and avoid overspending. Yeah, no no under the mattress. They have, a, a, what are those um, things on Amazon fire-resistant safes. Yes, a safe. Yeah, get yourself yes. a safe. <laughs> yes. And, and put your journal in it. <laughs> your journal and all your important papers. Right. <laughs> Avoid new debts whenever possible. Try not to add to that credit card or spending on what you don't have. So he encourages individuals to save up and pay in cash for purchases instead of relying on credit cards or loans. So if you have a house, focus on mortgage freedom. By making extra principal payments, you can reduce the overall interest, um, interest paid over time and become debt free sooner. So if you can make even as low as 10 to $15 every month, it makes a difference in the long run. Mm -hmm. So a few more practical tips. 
create a budget. Simple, but a lot of us don't do it. Start by creating a comprehensive budget that outlines your income and all your expenses. This will give you a clear understanding of your finances and your financial situation. And it can help you allocate funds towards debt repayment. And then you can use the snowball. Cut expenses. Look for areas where you can reduce your spending. Trim unnecessary expenses, such as eating out. I know that's hard. Going to Target. <laughs> Target and Costco. Entertainment subscriptions or impulse purchases. Redirect the money towards saving, towards, towards saving and debt repayments. Increase your income. This is a no-brainer. Consider ways to boost your income, such as taking on a side hustle, freelancing, or selling unused shit around your house that you don't need anymore. Mm -hmm. Negotiate lower interest rates. So contract your creditors and try to negotiate a lower interest rate on your debts. Many times you can call those credit cards and say, hey, I want a lower interest rate. And if you pay on time, they'll be willing to lower those rates. Consider debt con consolidation. How to, Okay, let me say that again, guys. Consider debt consolidation. So that involves combining multiple debts into a single loan with a lower interest rate. So you can see that sometimes you get credit cards in the mail where they have lower rates and you can put all your money into one and pay every month. And it might be simpler than having multiple cards with higher rates. If it's really, really difficult for you and you're struggling, you can seek professional help. Um, so these money management, um, what do you call them? Credit counseling agencies, they right. can help you work through your finances, help you organize and pay off those debts. So I wrote a blog about this called Six Ways to Improve Your Credit Score. And we'll add a link in the description so that you can in the podcast, so you can check that out. Very cool. Such helpful tips. And as we um, get ready to leave you <laughs> for this episode, at least, uh, I have just three final tips uh, when beginning to set financial goals that I think, you know, are helpful. And number one would be to be specific and realistic. So be specific about what you want to achieve. Just saying I want to save money or I want to get out of debt is too vague. So instead, create a plan and be specific about the amount you want to save or and or the exact debt you want to pay off. And if you have multiple debts, list them in order of which you are tackling first and second and third. Uh, the snowball effect is a, a good way to do that. And also consider your financial situation, income, expenses, um, so that you don't send, so that you don't set unrealistic goals, like leading you to feeling frustrated and defeated. Because like we mentioned earlier, not everyone has the ability to save as much money. But yes. if you look, but if you're looking at what you're spending your money on, you know, maybe you're going to Dunkin' Donuts and getting a coffee every day. Maybe that's something you can start doing at home, making at home before you leave. So now you don't, those $5 you're spending on a Dunkin' Donuts or a Starbucks or whatever, you're now putting towards like $5 every day towards a saving. That's what, $25 in five days, third, you know, what, 25, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35. I mean, yeah, month. that's like $35 in a week if you put away $5 every day, right? And um, how much is, is that in a year, Wendy? 
Oh no, I don't know the year. In a month, oh, I would be. Oh, no, a hundred or a month. <laughs> no, a hundred a month. If you do it five days a week, as get, I guess as you go to work, that's a hundred dollars a month. Right, and if you're not, and if you're not mathematicians, right, like we are not, then. Just, <laughs> but this is how you do it, right? You keep yeah. a little notebook and you write these things down, and then you take out a calculator and you start calculating, and you'll realize, like, oh shit, I just saved an additional thirty five dollars by not getting a Starbucks for a Dunkin' Donuts coffee every day. Um, exactly. The second one would be to set short term and and long term goals, right? So it's all about the time frame. Creating deadlines helps, um, you know, hold us accountable and keeps us on track toward making progress. So remember, some financial goals, like we stated, are going to take longer than others to achieve. So it's important to be patient with yourself and not beat yourself up if, you know, you have some setbacks. Everything in life, you know, has its ups and downs. And if that happens to you, address it, adjust accordingly and get back on track. That's it. <laughs> and the final one, you know, if possible, and Wendy mentioned this a little bit, creating multiple streams of income, right? So having passive income streams can help you save more for retirement or to purchase a home, pay off debt. So for example, Wendy and I have solepreneurships, right? So I have a business doing things that I'm passionate about and love, which is helping other people with coaching and facilitating women's circles. And so not only do I generate income from my full-time job, but I also generate some income from my personal business as well. And many people do this. They take, you know, you, you can get a job, a second job anywhere if you really feel called to do so, or you can take whatever passions and hobbies you have and turn those into profitable side businesses as well. There are many ways, you know, of generating these additional income these days. Another popular one that people are doing, a lot of my friends are doing this, is they have Airbnbs. Uh, some people have assets like expensive jewelry or art that they purchase and they collect. And then later on in life, you know, they can sell that at a higher value. I think you get the point. <laughs> Amazing tips. I feel like I love that we we can share all the different things that we've done and that people around us are doing to help us get out of debt and just live a financially stable life. Absolutely. Yeah. It's important to keep in mind that financial freedom can mean something different to each individual woman. But as a collective, we can all agree that financial literacy and financial independence are essential for a woman's success in life. Instead of being afraid of challenges of financial literacy or the mistakes you have made in the past, take control. Your wallet and your bank account will thank you for it. With that being said, let's remember that we're all in this together. Bye. And for me, it is crucial to continue to emphasize the significance of addressing the unique challenges faced by women, particularly women of color in the realm of finance. So by empowering ourselves with financial literacy, resources, and seeking opportunities for mentorship, we can build a more inclusive and equitable financial landscape. Ladies, let us strive to create a supportive community that uplifts and advocates for women, again, especially for women of color, ensuring that we have the tools and opportunities to thrive economically. Together, we can foster positive change and work towards a future where all women 
can navigate and conquer the financial challenges we may face. And on that note, many blessings and peace out. Thank you for being part of today's podcast. If you love the content of this episode, please download, share, rate, and review. If you want to know where else to find us, check out our links in the show notes. We hope this talk brought you a little further along in your wellness journey. Have a topic you want to discuss? We want to hear from you. Reach out to us via email at feministpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on our Instagram handle at feministpodcast.